Hey, my friend, welcome to Fine is a Four Letter Word. My name is Lori Seitz. I'm an entrepreneur, mentor, founder of Zen Rabbit, and your instigator in saying fuck being fine. This show is for those of you who are done living with the dumpster fire and are ready to find the tools and courage to transform, to step into more success and fulfillment in both your personal and business life. You're in the right place for stories of self-discovery, gratitude, and connection. And to help you strengthen that connection to your own inner guidance, you'll find each episode has an accompanying meditation. Now let's get into it. I'm so excited to have Elaine Blaze joining me today. Elaine is a midlife troublemaker, aka difficult woman. A life coach, author, and spiritual practitioner with a passion for helping midlife women live into their dreams. Elaine grew up in an environment where she learned to people please and keep others comfortable in order to avoid humiliation and keep herself safe. This way of living set the tone for much of her life as she married young, had children, and spent many years in a long-term marriage. As the oldest of five, Elaine also felt a great sense of responsibility for others, stemming from the trauma of childhood and not having adults in her life to show her how to manage her emotions and be with her feelings. It wasn't until reaching midlife that Elaine began to shift and figure out for herself who she truly was and what she wanted for her life. Now she is on a mission to help other women do the same and step into their power. She recently started a Facebook group called A Difficult Woman Collective because woman plus difficult equals powerful. She lives in Rhode Island, but spends half her time wandering the country in her RV, Silver Girl, with her Labradoodle, Gracie. During this episode, we'll be diving into Elaine's personal story and her wisdom and guidance for empowering others to live their best lives. So join us as we explore why being fine is a waste of time, and it's now time to embrace our true selves. Today's episode is sponsored by Zen Rabbit. If you'd like to find peace of mind amidst the chaos and no matter what's going on around you, you'll find a whole bunch of free resources like meditations and articles at zenrabbit.com. And while you're there, If you're curious about how you might stop working so hard and achieve more success at the same time, get a copy of the five easy ways to start living a sabbatical life. It's a short guide to working less and living better. Find it all at zenrabbit.com. My guest today is Elaine Blaze, and we have known each other for a while, and she was actually the inspiration, one of the inspirations, for my sabbatical road trip that I took over this summer. So I'm super excited to have you here, Elaine, on Fine is a Four-Letter Word. I am super happy to be here and excited for this conversation, Lori. Yeah, and I know also that you are overcoming, what, pneumonia you had? Yes, it's been a bit of a healing journey for me in the last few weeks. Yeah, okay. So if you need to, uh, you know, take a take a second at any point in, during this conversation, that's what's that's what's happening here. Um, yeah, let's start out with I'm curious what the values and beliefs you were raised with that that contributed to who you you became as a young adult. That's a really interesting question today, especially. So part of this healing journey that I'm on 
And that's truly what I believe it is. It's around grief. And um, typically, as someone who studies metaphysics, metaphysics, anything to do with your lungs is usually you're holding on to grief, unprocessed emotion. And what I've come to recognize um, through this journey is that, um, and you talked about me being one of the inspirations for your sabbatical. So last year, I let go of a lot of material possessions, physical things, a lot of my identity. And um, I think I didn't really take the time to grieve that. And one of the beliefs that I've really discovered in this um, from childhood, really, um, is a pattern of self-abandonment. This idea that because I chose these things, I shouldn't grieve them. I shouldn't grieve what I was letting go Oh wow! because I made this choice. So, you know, it's kind of like you have nothing to cry about. You chose this kind of, you know, that kind of thing. What's the matter with you? Mm -hmm. And um, that's been a really profound thing, actually, going through this this few weeks of illness. And so that's a lot of my upbringing was be seen and not heard to I learned to people, please. I learned to keep other people comfortable, to keep myself safe, really, mm -hmm. right? To avoid um, humiliation, that it was really wrong to be me. And that has set the tone for most of my life up until now. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. So talk a little bit about how that played out as you were growing into adulthood and figuring out who you, who you were. I don't think there was a lot of figuring out. I think a lot of it was doing what I thought I was supposed to do, living a life mm -hmm. that that was mirrored for me. So I married young. I had children. I was married for a very long time. And um, being the oldest of five, I think a lot of that is the whole responsibility um, thing. You know, really thinking that I'm responsible for everyone and a lot of that comes out of, of the trauma of childhood, of not having adults in my life through no fault of their own, but not having adults in my life that could mirror or show me how to manage my emotions, how to be with my emotions. And so I don't think there was a lot of figuring out for myself until I reached midlife, really. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then things started to shift for me. It's so interesting because when I started this podcast 70 something episodes ago, this, I was surprised by how many guests talk about not understanding that they even had emotions, being raised in environments where emotions were not part of the equation. Like you didn't have them, you didn't express them, you weren't allowed to, or they weren't even acknowledged. Yeah. And that's so interesting to me. Yeah. And um, I mean, I'm sure that that's how my parents were raised, right? And their parents and their parents. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is historical trauma, really. Um, yeah. So people like you and I get to be the cycle breakers, which is really cool. Um, but yeah, they're, you know, the idea that don't make your dad angry. Don't mm. make me feel this way. So... 
we begin to guard our own emotions or to think that those things that we feel are wrong to be felt because of how they're affecting someone else. Right. And the truth is, those are adults who, through their own trauma, don't know how to process their own emotions. So for me, there wasn't a lot of, there wasn't a lot of guidance around that when I was a kid. It was more about, you know, suck it up, check your emotions at the door. I can remember my brother, Steve, who's 10 years younger than I am. And so I was about 12, maybe. And he got hurt out in the yard somewhere and his head was bleeding. And you know, the head it could be a tiny little thing, but the head bleeds profusely, right? Sure. And I'm freaking out. I'm like, oh my God, my brother is bleeding. I'm carrying him home. I'm screaming for my mother. And she got angry with me. She got angry with me for being emotional. There was no ability oh, wow. to, to realize that I was scared for what was happening with my brother. Mm -hmm. So those are, those are some of the more challenging memories for me. Yeah. Okay. And so you mentioned being married and having kids and not like, how did you come to the place where you went, all right, I need to change directions because the way I'm operating now is not serving me. Yeah. Um, it wasn't a moment. It was probably a lot of little moments over time. And I think the thing that really, well, one thing is my children were getting older and more independent. Mm -hmm. So I had more time to sort of reflect on me. Yeah. That's often a place where people very much check so, in. Very much so. I think, you know, before that time I was so busy parenting and, you know, running kids around and all of the busyness and going to work every day that and I think a lot of that busyness, too, is a way that, for me anyway, I avoided mm -hmm. what I needed to feel and process, right? Let me just keep busy and I'll yeah. be fine. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I know you talk exactly. about that a lot, Lori, about, you know, right. getting out of the hustle and the grind. So I'd reached a place in my life where I had become more confident in myself and through a number of different things, through a career I'd created and started to really think about what do I want now? And I returned to college in my 50s for my undergraduate degree. Oh, how cool. It's something I had always wanted to do. And I fell in love with the learning. And there's a lot of brain mm. drama around that. You know, I'm 50 something. Can I keep up with people in class? I'm working full time. You know, can I do this? Yeah. And I absolutely, I absolutely loved it. I was so Oh, it just felt so fulfilling to me. Yeah. And the more I did this kind of thing, the further apart my then husband and I drifted. Um, I think for him, being in that more traditional place was was what he signed up for. Mm -hmm. And I knew that I had to grow out of that. I didn't know how. I didn't know what that would look like. I just knew that my my soul was craving so much more in my life. And so my 35, in the middle of going to school, my marriage fell apart. I'd been married for 35 years. Oh, wow. Yeah. It was a, long time. a really tough place to be. Who the hell am I now? Mm -hmm. I'm, you know, I've been we for so long. What is this me thing? How do I do this even? And it was- Yeah, who it, am I? Yeah. Without that other person. Without, right. 
even if that that wasn't a great relationship at that point in time, mm-hmm. I still knew it, right? It was familiar. Yeah, and that was the person you had been with for pretty much your entire adult life. Yeah, we grew up together in a sense. Yeah, yeah. That was a really tough time for me, and it was also, in hindsight, the greatest gift that that I that we could have given each other, actually, at that point in time. Yeah. So that just shifted everything. I have been on a personal growth journey intentionally, an intentional spiritual journey ever since. You know, I discovered around that same time that my marriage was falling apart, I discovered Louise Hay and I discovered Deepak Chopra. And I just started to get more and more Michael Beckwith into all of this. Oh, I love Michael. Oh, he is. I listen. (laughs) If you ever listen to his, I'm going to plug him actually, his Sunday morning way of meditation is fabulous. I actually, I actually met him. Well, I don't, I was in a room with him where he was speaking and it was a small room. Mm. And the energy of that room was over the top, incredible. Yeah. And it was because of him. It was his energy that you could feel. Yeah. I'm not surprised by that at all. Just radiating. Yeah. So um, having done all that, I started to feel really um, uncomfortable in my career. It was time for that to change, too. What was your career first? I had been working for about 25 years in corporate, and I had done a number of different things, um, primarily customer service and some internal communications. And I was working in internal communications um, when I ended my career. And I just got to a place where the values of the organization no longer worked for me. I, mm-hmm. I, it's not about anybody else. It's not about the company. It's not. It's about what changed in me. Right. Your evolution. Exactly. And and before, what what were you studying in school? I'm curious. I studied communications and gender and women's studies. Okay. Yeah. And you did that, but not necessarily to further your career, I feel like. You did, you did it because you were interested in that. Well, it's so funny that you say that because you're right. I, I really wanted to have my degree. It's something I'd always dreamed of. So that was the reason for it. Mm-hmm. And I imagined that it would further my career. But the funny thing is, mm-hmm. after getting my degree, I was put up for promotion three times, and all three times I was turned down. Oh. And so that is really the impetus for starting to think about what do I really want? Because if this isn't happening, there's something else. There's something better, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So yeah, it didn't, it didn't do what I thought it would do. And that's okay, because it mm-hmm. did what I needed it to do. Yeah, which was right. To That's get often me, how things yes, happen. To get me to think about what do I really want now, and um, in that time, I graduated. I traveled, and my dad passed, and um, that also got me thinking about what am I waiting for? Yeah, what am I waiting for? And so, um, in the spring of 2015, I exited voluntarily a long corporate career. And I uh, took about six months sabbatical to really think about what I was doing next. And I knew I wanted to coach. I knew I wanted to help people in a bigger way than what I was doing. And I was coaching and mentoring in the workplace, but a little different environment. And um, the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> what did you do on that sabbatical? Because I didn't know about that one, but what what? You know, I I get the question too, like, well, what's the difference between a sabbatical and a vacation? And oh. so what 
what was it that you were doing on this yeah. six month, that first six month sabbatical? Yeah. Um, I think the word I would use to describe it is decompressing. Mm-hmm. What I realized when I first left my job, I would get up in the morning thinking I should be doing something. I should be doing something. Mm-hmm. I should be doing something, right? That because we are so work. in that corporate, yeah, and that's so, that, that idea of productivity all the time. Yes. So that was really the work that I did. I, that was, it, I didn't go anywhere. This was a stay-at-home sabbatical. I spent that time learning to not be in a corporate job, learning to not have to be productive all the time, learning to give myself permission to rest and to sort of decouple from all of that stuff that I had been doing for so long. Yeah. It's so interesting that we have to learn how to decompress and learn how to rest. Yeah. Like, don't these things, shouldn't these things come to us naturally? But we've been so reprogrammed. I mean, you know them as a a child, a baby, a child, but we've been so programmed. We have to deprogram ourselves and really rewire the brain. Yeah, absolutely. We create habits and patterns that we that serve us when we create them in most cases. Mm -hmm. But then we tend to not, we tend to be so, I mean, we are habitual people, right? We get comfortable with something and so we keep going with it. And the idea, I think, is so new of actually just taking time to pause and say, do I want to continue to do this? Mm -hmm. Or or do I want to do it differently? Or, you know, how is this really serving the life that I want to live? Yeah. The other question I get a lot from people when they hear talk about sabbaticals is how I would love to do that, but I can't afford it. Didn't cost me anything to stay home. Yeah. I think that that statement is a a great place for someone to inquire what they even think a sabbatical is, right? So, Mm -hmm. So what does that thing mean to you? Does it mean, you know, being in Europe for a month and maybe you can't afford it, but does it mean being home for a week, two days? Six, I don't know. Mm-hmm. So it's really about what's the intention of your sabbatical, of your time? What do you want to do with that time? How do you want to be with yourself in that time? What would you like to discover in that time? That right there, what you just said, how would you like to be? What would you like to discover? To me is the key difference between a sabbatical and a vacation. Yeah, absolutely. A vacation, I'm on the beach with a margarita. I mean, come on. <laughs> yeah, right, right. You're not really digging into no. who am I? What do I want to do? What is my life going to look like moving forward? Who? How do I find joy? Whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. There are more self-discovery elements, I believe, in a sabbatical. Yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, I'm going on sabbatical for me anyway, personally to be curious about me. I'm going on vacation because I'm curious about a location, a place, and a, you know, an event. So where's my curiosity? Oh, yes. That's, I love that. Thank you for that. Okay. So back to your story of you, after this six month sabbatical, what did you discover and what did you do with it? Yeah. I, I really discovered that it takes a long time for me personally <laughs> to really extract myself from what I was doing and really start to see myself in my life differently. So that took some time. But I was more 
convinced than ever that I wanted to be coach, that I wanted to life coach, that I primarily want to work with women. So I I went to school with Martha Beck. I don't know if you're familiar with Martha Beck, mm-hmm. but she is yes. one of Oprah's yes. coaches. Yes. Um, I took her program, which is phenomenal. I still listen to her and follow her um, and started coaching, I don't know, maybe six months after that. So, and I've been doing it ever since. And that too, obviously, has evolved. So what I do today is work with women on the art of self-approval, which to me is a little different than acceptance. I think acceptance is saying, well, you know, I'm not perfect, but I accept that about myself, which is, Mm -hmm. which is a beautiful place to be, especially if you come from very low self-worth. Self-acceptance is sort of a step towards self-approval. But self-approval to me is that I am an expression of the divine, always, in this moment and in every moment. Mm -hmm. There is nothing wrong with me. Right. So it's really about beginning to appreciate and approve of the places, the things about ourselves. I mean, I want to celebrate everything about us. But this is really about looking at the places we think we're different or unacceptable or wrong. Because that goes right back to that trauma, that childhood stuff. Mm -hmm. And there was never anything wrong. Right. So it's about coming full circle and really reclaiming everything about yourself. I also sometimes call it how to be a difficult woman because I think as a woman, I've spent so much of my life trying not to be difficult for other people. Mm-hmm. Make everything that easy for myself. everyone else. That's right. And so now it's time for me to embrace the things that I perceive or maybe other people perceive make me difficult, not at anyone's expense, but in pursuit of my dreams. Yeah. Have you found that that is a, a belief that you have that may not necessarily be true, that you are difficult, that other people don't perceive that as being difficult. It's only your perception. It could very well be. Um, but it is a perception that I've learned somewhere mm-hmm. that that I want to be curious about. Yeah. You know, so if my saying no to someone makes me seem difficult, or if my expressing my opinion to someone makes me seem difficult, then I am willing to be that Mm -hmm. in order to be authentic, in order to be in unapologetic self-approval. And it's not about being mean or unkind to people. Exactly. It's about being myself. It's about being true to yourself. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. What led to the selling all your stuff and and taking your life on the road and becoming a nomad. So that's so interesting. I have been, I think I've been pursuing this for a long time. So in 2017, maybe I packed up my SUV and my dog and outfitted it so I could camp in the car. And we took a six week trip around the country. It was amazing. It wasn't so it, you long went, enough. You went on like a, a trip with your dog? Yes. Okay, cool. Six weeks. Six weeks. Um, I have a 29-pound Labradoodle named Gracie. And a I portable pet. 
Yeah, somewhat. She's not <laughs> tiny, but she's portable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And um, I remember coming back and a friend of mine asked me if, because I had some great experiences, met wonderful people, did as much as I could traveling with the dog, which mm-hmm. can be limiting. Yeah. Stayed with friends and family, did some Airbnb, did some camping. I camped in the Redwoods in California, which was pretty spectacular. And just the energy in that place yes. is incredible. Yes, it is. And um, a friend of mine said, so did this trip restore your faith in humanity? And I thought that was an interesting question. And I thought about it for a minute. And I said, actually, it simply renewed my faith in humanity. There was mm-hmm. nothing to restore. It mm-hmm. validated it. Mm. Because people are people everywhere. Yeah. You know, we all want to be seen and heard and understood. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that sort of whet my appetite. And I have been following and learning about living nomadically. And that has shifted too. So I'd sold a house that I'd lived in, a home. It was really a lovely house. I didn't sell something that I was tired of or didn't like. I loved it actually, mm-hmm. but it was time. Sold my home, sold almost all my possessions. I mean, literally, I don't even own a bed right now. And bought an RV. It's um, a sprinter van type, one of those tall vans. Yeah. And I set off to explore. I thought I would be a full-time nomad. Like, I'm going to do this thing. Yeah. Live out of the van. But the more I, the more I was not, the more I was gone exploring and having really there's so many beautiful things to see and do in this country. It's amazing. I've, I've only tipped the iceberg. But I realized that I want a home base. Mm. So I'm exploring that now for myself. What, what will that look like? And I do have a partner. He and I have been together about three and a half years. So we have been talking about maybe creating a home together. That will remain to be seen. Does he travel with you? No. No, okay. he's here working and living his life. Okay. So what I realized that full-time nomading is not for me. So I'm going to be a part-time nomad. I'll have a home base and I'll travel when, I, when I'm ready to travel, which probably by March, I'll be ready to head somewhere for a while. But um, I, think the, I, think the, I think the key to really creating a life that you want is to not be attached to what you think you want. So like the full-time nomad thing for me, if I had been holding on to that, I would probably still be traveling but not be very happy with myself Mm, because I think I have to do it because that's what I said I was going to do. So allowing yourself the space to change your mind. Yes. And I don't know about you, but <clears throat> changing my mind was not something that was encouraged when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah, well, yeah. When, when you start learning about manifesting and visualizing, you hear a lot about, well, create a clear picture and then keep visualizing that. Because if you're all over the place, and there is some some validation to this, if you're all over the place. It's like ordering at a restaurant. I'll have the eggs with bacon, or actually I would never order bacon, with the vegetarian bacon. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know where that came from. Uh, and then the, the server goes away to put the order into the kitchen. You're like, wait, 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 wait. Nope. I would rather have the pancakes. And they go and put that. Nope. Wait, I changed my mind. I'm going to have the waffles mm-hmm. with fruit. 
And then they can, you never get served. You're always hungry because you can't make up your mind. Yeah. That's different than saying like eating and then later saying, you know what? I'm not going to have the same thing for lunch. I'm going to have something different. There's a, there's a subtle difference there. Yeah, I, I think you're right. And the thing about manifesting and, you know, really creating or co-creating um, what you want is, for me, more about the feeling, mm-hmm. right? How do I want to feel in this experience? Yes. Because there's a little tiny book written by Neville Goddard called Feeling is the Secret. Are you mm-hmm. familiar with it? Mm-hmm. Awesome little book, right? Yeah. Go to bed at night and visualize and go to sleep thinking about what you want. But when you listen to, and not but, and when you listen to like Abraham Hicks mm-hmm. and other law of attraction people, there is this idea that if you keep, if you're in the wanting of it all the time, Yes. And you never get it because you're wanting. Right. So you're getting exactly what your your energetic vibration is. And so if you're in the energy of wanting, I think the same thing happens with attachment. If I'm attached to the outcome being a certain way, then I'm just going to be disappointed because honestly, the universe can deliver something way bigger than what I can imagine. <laughs> exactly. We don't know all the ways Right. That things can show up for us. We can like, I think where you're going with this and I'll let you go on about the feeling of it. If you know how you'd like to feel, that feeling can be delivered in a billion different ways that we're not even aware of. Exactly. I believe that the thing, what we want is never really about what we want. It's about how we think we're going to feel when we have it. Mm. And so the more we can be in that feeling now, right now, even though we have no evidence of the thing, yes, then we're actually calling it in. We're vibrating in the feeling of what we want, which is the only way we can match what we want. Yes, it is to be it now, which is sometimes confusing. Like, well, how can I be in the feeling if I don't have the thing yet? But that the feeling is not dependent on the thing. No, and your brain does not know the difference between right. having the thing or imagining the thing. Right. So when you're in the imagination of it, you can be in the feeling of it. Yeah, yeah. And this is why those customized meditations that I create for people are so powerful is because I'm taking them on a journey and getting them into the feeling of the thing. Yeah. Yeah even though it has not physically shown up yet. Yeah. But getting them into the feeling calls it in, like you said. One of my favorite things that I do with clients and in workshops is a future self-visualization. And mm. you're probably familiar with that, Lori, right? Mm-hmm. Taking, I take people on a journey to meet their future self because that version of us actually exists right now. Yes. And there is so much wisdom to be found by having this, meeting, if you will, with your future self. Mm-hmm. And that version of us already already has done all the things that we want to do. And so the idea behind that is to then, right now, today, in this moment, not in the future, yeah, show up as that future self. So what's the one tiny thing I can do right now to be that version of me? And that puts you in the energy of what you want as well. 
Yeah. And talking about the future self reminds me of a book I recently read by Dr. Benjamin Hardy called Be Your Future Self Now, The Science of Intentional Transformation. And he talks about exactly what you're talking about. And also that that we are going to change and become someone in ways that we can't necessarily imagine right now. Because if you think back five years ago, the person that you were five years ago is very different from the person you are today, presumably. Yeah, absolutely. And so your yourself five years ago could not necessarily imagine who you would be today. So to your point of the small steps, that's all you can do is because imagining who you're going to be in five years may be kind of, you can again, imagine how you would like to feel, but Mm -hmm. all of the circumstances surrounding that, that's, that may be out of reach because you're going to grow and develop in ways you can't even imagine today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, The only place you can act or take an action is right now. Yeah. You can't act in the future or the past. So visualizing and getting into the energy and the feeling of who you are or who you want to be or how that feels and then taking that into right now. And sometimes it's the tiniest thing for people. Yeah. You know, sometimes it's just about changing the way you dress, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? You see yourself dressed differently and you start to change that and you feel that energy of who that that version of you is. And you start to act that way every day. You know, I I often just say to people, so what is, if you were that version of yourself, how would you wake up in the morning? Mm -hmm. What would your first thought of the morning be? Yeah. Because a lot of us get up and it's like, oh, the alarm, whatever, all of that (laughs) moaning, groaning stuff, right? What if you didn't moan and groan? Yeah. What if you chose a different thought, feeling in that moment to wake up with? Yeah. Just tiny things. Try it on for size. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. See what happens. Yeah. And I love that you're talking about who would you want to be? Who would you like to be? Because that is really the the question. And I've talked about this, I think, on other episodes as well. You know, when we ask children, what do you want to be when you grow up? Wrong question. Who would you like to be? Yeah. And asking ourselves the same question every year. We're recording this at the beginning of a new year. And that's kind of irrelevant. Like you can start over any minute you want. It's not necessarily important that it's the beginning of a new year. But my point is that the this is the time of year when a lot of people are looking at things and going, what do I want to do this year? Mm -hmm. The better question for me is who would I like to be? Yeah. Yeah. One other thing, one other exercise that I've done with people and um, often in workshops and classes is. Instead of creating a to-do list, create a daily to-be list. Mm. Yes. So who do I want to be today? I want to be kind. I want to be accomplished, maybe, whatever it is. But what is going to be my state of being? Because that's my energetic place. Yeah. That's where everything else is going to come from. I mean, we don't manifest anything from the outside world. We have to be it. Yes. Yeah. We have to become it. So who do I need to be today to move a little bit towards that version of me? That is 
a fantastic place to end this conversation. Before <laughs> it, we'll leave people with that thought. But bef- All and right. before and before we completely leave, the always question of what is the song you listen to when you need to an extra boost of energy, when you want to be more energetic. <laughs> yeah, I have a big long playlist, but probably the one that comes to mind that I love the most is a song by Bliss called Be Who You Were Born to Be. Got to jump off that cliff and be who you were born to be. I am not familiar with that song. And of course, I'm going to go listen to it right now after we finish <laughs> this, because I I no doubt it's a great one. The, one of the great things also about living a nomadic life and the uh, in this time in history is that if people wanted to get in touch with you, they don't need a physical address. Where where would people find you if they wanted to continue a conversation with you, Elaine? Uh, a few places. So my website is Elaine Blaze, that's B-L-A-I-S dot com. I am mostly on Instagram on social media at Elaine Blaze Coaching. And I do have a Facebook group for women called A Difficult Woman Collective which I would love to have more women join because the conversation there really is about self-approval, about reclaiming what we think makes us difficult and really stepping into our power to be who we are. Fantastic. I'll put links to all of that in the show notes. Thank you so much for joining me today on Fine is a Four-Letter Word. Thanks, Lori. This is a blast. I am so grateful to Elaine for her inspiration. Not sure I would have sat out on my own sabbatical if not for that conversation with her back in July. Here are the key takeaways from today's episode. Number one, many of us use keeping busy as a way to avoid processing emotions and feelings, but that's never a long-term solution. We can tell ourselves we're fine, but you know how we feel about that word here, right? Number two, People-pleasing and putting the needs of others ahead of ourselves is a safety mechanism, but all it ends up doing is making us feel small and insecure. Number three, you don't have to settle for work that doesn't align with your values. Whether it's a change in yourself or the company you work for, when things don't line up anymore, it's time to move on. Number four, in the world we live in, rest is not intuitive. We have to intentionally relearn how to step away from work, how to not be productive, and how to give ourselves permission to rest. Number five, the key to creating the life you want is to not be attached to what you think you want. It's okay to change your mind. Number six, what we desire is never about what we desire. It's about how we think we're going to feel when we have it. And you don't actually have to have that thing to feel that way. The more you feel it without having it, the more likely you are to actually get it. 